Well, good morning again. Nice to see you all today. Today, I'm really excited because we are kicking off our uh, summer sermon series, and it's called Underqualified. And I'm really excited about this, where we're going to take a couple of breaks in the middle. Uh, Benjamin and Bree are going to come up here in a couple of weeks and talk about some things that are on their heart, and then uh, we're going to take a, a break in the middle for some things that are kids camp related, but this will thematically be the way we're going to carry ourselves through the summer Uh, And it's called Underqualified, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through the lives of Jesus' 12 apostles. Uh, We're going to examine them a little bit, and we're going to see what connections we can make between them and us. That's the big key here. Throughout uh, the course of the summer, what I'd love is for all of us to be able to relate to a handful of these stories so that we can see ourselves in that leadership both in the church and under Jesus and as disciples Uh, as learners. But this morning is sort of a table setting for all that. So we're going to talk about two or three different things this morning that's really going to set a foundation for where we're headed for the rest of the summer so that you can airdrop in or out or come in late or early and you'll be able to know where we're at. So the three things that we're going to, the three things that we're going to talk about this morning I've been watching uh, my three-year-old learn how to count with her fingers and her words too much. Uh, The three things that we're going to talk about this morning are first sort of we're going to look at the disciples as a whole, and we're going to figure out uh, a little bit of where they came from and what that looks like. Then we're going to talk about why this particular topic is actually really important at this church, at IPC, where we're at right now and what we're doing and where we're headed. And then we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with a moment uh, in his ministry. It was a key moment in the development of not only the disciples' the apostles, the 12, but also all of his followers as a whole and really sets the stage for what it takes to be a follower of Jesus and what we are looking to do. So really, we're just kind of setting the table for a lot of things. So let's get into that. And The first one is I just wanted to cover a couple things to make sure we're all on the same page. Some of us have been going to church for a long time. Some of us only for a short time. Some of us have maybe not gone for a while. And some of us just have never paid attention even though we've been there the whole time. And whatever that is, I want to make sure wherever you're at, we are sort of on the same page and going forward so that as we're talking, we're talking together. And don't feel bad about that last one. That was me up until, I don't know, who knows when. Uh, First of all, we talk about these 12 people that follow Jesus, and we usually use two different words to describe them. Sometimes we call them the 12 disciples, and sometimes we call them the 12 apostles. And sometimes we interchange them, and even Scripture uses those words very close together. And so what I want to do is just clean up the why on that. So in Greek, the word disciple translates into a learner or a student, okay? So if you're a disciple of something or you're a disciple of somebody, and we've used this term in our regular vernacular before, that means you're a learner, you sit under, you're a student of, you're figuring it out, you're along the way, right? So this is how Scripture uses this phrase and this term a lot when talking about those that were sitting under Jesus' leadership. They were disciples, they were learners, they were students, which makes sense. Uh, Just so you know... Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples, right? This wasn't a word that Christians made up. There were a lot of people that were disciples of a lot of different religions or other rabbis or different things. And so this isn't a word exclusive to us, 
but it is a word that does describe what people were doing underneath the leadership of Jesus. Now that second word, apostle, it translates in Greek into messenger or the sent ones. And you can see how those two words even immediately are different. One is to learn, to be a student. But an apostle, that means you're sent. That means you're to go. That term comes with a little bit more action attached to it right away. And of course, a little bit more responsibility. And so when those 12 turned from disciples to apostles, and we'll see through Scripture, there aren't that many people that are referred to as apostles. You've got the 12, and you've got Paul, and really that's about the list. Most people are disciples, and you see as uh, most of the writing of the New Testament comes along, it was all written by disciples for the most part. But the, or by apostles for the most part, and then Paul, of course, there too. It's the apostles that are sent. They're the ones that are sent to go, to do something, to be messengers. And this title actually meant something too, because there is, and now I know we're going deep into the weeds, but this is actually, I don't know, I'm nerdy. This is interesting to me. There's, a, there's an Aramaic line straight to another word for apostle. And that word is shalah. And what that word means uh, is in Aramaic, a shalah was somebody who was an official of the Sanhedrin. There was somebody that had like legal standing. They had the actual ability to go in. What their job was, is, was to go and solve conflict. And that word specifically represented something else about people. That word, everybody knew that this word meant that that person was going out and giving a message that wasn't their own. It was a message that was somebody else's. They were an ambassador. They were a representative. They were a peacekeeper. They were somebody who had the authority to come in and speak for somebody else. So when Jesus turns these learners, these students, into these senders, these go-outers, these messengers, these apostles, both culturally and as we learn about through our reading, that's a really significant change because they had the authority and the standing and the visibility in their own culture of people who were speaking for and giving out the message to Jesus. And that's a big deal as we see and as we will go through this series because when Jesus gives you the authority to speak on his behalf, that comes with a lot of responsibility and also a lot of power and other things that go along with it. So that's the difference between a disciple and an apostle, just in case you ever wanted to know. The second thing I want to do is just talk a little bit about the timeline. So we know that Jesus' ministry starts around when he's 30 or 31, and it lasts for about three or three and a half years. Now, when we read through Scripture sometimes, and I know as a kid... And as an adult, you sort of read Scripture in context a little bit more and you figure this out. But as a kid, I remember thinking, okay, how did Jesus call these people who didn't know who he was to follow him? Because if you read some of these stories in isolation, it kind of looks like Jesus comes up to a bunch of guys that are fishing or that are tax collectors or that are doing whatever they're doing, and they're like, he says, hey, come follow me, drop what you're doing, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then they just drop it and they go. And I think, like, did they know his name? How did that work? Had they heard about him? 
But what we see and what we know from Scripture is reading through Scripture, the call of the disciples happens almost about halfway through Jesus' earthly ministry. So Jesus has been teaching people for about a year or a year and a half before he calls this inner circle of folks to him. Because Jesus had a lot of disciples, this is why these definitions are important, up until this point. Jesus had a lot of people who were followers. He had a lot of students. He had a lot of people who were learning. But not yet did he have a team of people around him that were helping him do that. And this group of 12 disciples turned apostles came from that larger group of people who were already following him. Does that make sense? Can I have a couple of nods? Everybody's with me so far? Okay. Not, not nodding off, just like confirmations. Okay, that's good. So this group of 12 comes about halfway through his ministry, and at that point, Jesus transitions his teaching focus. Okay, the first year, year and a half, Jesus' focus is on teaching people. It's on healing and signs and miracles. It's on teaching about who God is and going into the temples and, 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 and. But when he calls the disciples, he makes a leadership switch. He goes from a mostly crowd focus to a primarily discipleship focus of those apostles. Because Jesus knows that his time is limited and that he needs the message to carry on further than when he's here. And so what he does is he makes a leadership decision, which I find fascinating because this is the stuff that I nerd out on. Jesus goes, I have the power. And this is so, this is just one of those little asides that's so important and so key for us to remember in the church. And especially, in, and like I'm preaching to myself here, just so you know. I get to stand up here and like walk around and the cameras have to follow me if I go past this little um, mark on the floor and now James is freaking out, right? Yes, yeah, sorry. And I have the microphone and I get to do that and that's really cool. But the reality is, is that for as long as I or whoever else is on this stage, we have this much ability to influence. We have this much ability to stretch out. And Jesus knows, Jesus is God. He knows that he's got all the influence to do it for everybody, but he also knows that he needs other people to do it there too. He needs other people on earth, boots on the ground, going around, and so Jesus changes his focus a lot from preaching to this many people to teaching exclusively this many people so that those people can go out. And as we read scripture and we go through this series, we're going to find out that we are those people too, that we are called to do that. Now, one more thing about all these disciples. They were all, all massively underqualified, okay? Think of most of the leadership traits that you think about when you think about a good boss or a good leader. Think about Titus and uh, all the, the, you know, the things that you need to be called to be a good elder or a good leader in the church. You know, things like uh, patience and being a good learner and spiritual understanding in humility and a strong faith and commitment. They didn't really have any of those things. They were pretty underqualified. They were disciples. They were followers. But major strengths they didn't have. None of them were parts of the religious establishment. None of them were already rabbis. None of them were people who already were trained to know the Scripture back and forth. None of them were scribes. It's likely that not all of them were terribly literate. 
Yet Jesus calls this group of largely underqualified folks to bring His movement into the future. Why does He do that? That's, that's one of those things that we're going to examine as well. Just one more little secret here. Uh, if you read that section in Titus, or you think about the leadership qualities that it takes to be a representative of Jesus, to be an ambassador for Christ, to be an apostle, to be somebody who goes out and teaches and talks. Just a reassurance to you that none of us are intrinsically qualified to do that. (laughs) None of you have every piece of that built in. And I think that that's really important because it's representative of who he grabbed too. It's not the power that you have, but the power you have through me that lets you move, which I think is a really cool not only leadership lesson for us, but a good example that Jesus sets. Now, why is this all important here? Why is this important at IPC right now? Well, here's here's the reason that I've kind of been thinking about that's been on my heart that we've been bantering, bantering around the office about this week, and I've talked to a handful of people. It's because just like our culture... IPC is kind of in a pivotal moment. Our culture is in a really interesting time right now because of uh, financial crisis, because of uh, COVID, because of political unrest and divide, and you can't be in the middle. You have to take an extreme side, and if you're not, people wonder and try to pull you into an argument and whatever that looks like. We are in a spot right now in our culture where we've all kind of been forced to set back and answer this question. What really matters to me? I would bet over the last two years, at some point you've asked yourself the question, does this really matter to me? Do I really care about this right now? Do I, do I care about what's happening? And we've seen this all over the place. We've heard people who have, we've seen stories, Instagram or, or on Facebook or in the news, people who had great jobs that paid well, that quit them. Because they realized in the two years that they were home from work that they'd rather have the two and a half hours of their life back from the commute than have that job that they had. They asked themselves, what's really important to me? And the answer was time with family over this particular place that I'm working. Maybe some of you know those people. Some people have done this with uh, housing and where they live. Some, of it, some people have moved because they've gone is is where I'm living really worth it to me? Some people have overextended themselves to get into the market because they've said it's really important for me to get into a house and if not now, then when, I don't know. We've seen people ask that question, what's really important to me? And we've seen this in the church. We've seen people stop attending church regularly or altogether because people have gone, is church really that important to me? Or was I doing it just because it was a part of a rhythm? It was something that I was conditioned to do. What does that look like? And and people have been doing that. People have been doing that with their faith. We've heard a lot about faith deconstruction and learning about, hey, all of these things that I've learned about God and my faith and church over the last few years, was this stuff really important to me? And when an organization or a workplace or a church goes through this kind of like hard reset, that we are all going through because of COVID. And we are all in this together because we all experienced this big thing that did it to us together. What we do is we look back on our lives, both personally and as a church or an organization, as a workplace, and we go, is this really what I signed up for? 
Is this what I value? Is this what's important to me? And in the early days of Jesus' ministry, in the first days of Jesus' ministry, when he was teaching his apostles what it was going to be like to follow him into the future, they had one of these moments. And not just the 12 of them, and that's what's so cool about this, a whole bunch of people had that moment all at the same time. We, as a culture, experienced this. Was this really that important to me? Almost everybody did it. And this happened, and in a 36-hour period, a whole bunch of people went from seeing one of the craziest miracles anybody had ever seen to walking away. And that's the story that we're going to look into this morning. So the story is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people all at once. So let's get you caught up on how this happened. Jesus is teaching to a group of people, and then Jesus moves, and the people follow him, and then he moves again. And so Jesus ends up on this hilltop, and people that are his disciples, because he has a following at this point, start crowding around and listening to him talk. And he looks at Andrew, Jesus does, and he says this in John chapter 6. He says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd, and he said to Philip, sorry, wrong disciple, (laughs) that's my fault. Where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked only to test him, for he already knew what he had in mind and what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everybody just to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? So Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those to who were seated to as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who have eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely... This is a prophet who has come to the world, and Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, most people have heard this story before. Most people have heard this, right? And most people have got that little bit of information that's extra that says, when the Bible says 5,000, it's probably counting men, which means you're at least doubling, if not more, that number. That's a big number of people. This is a huge miracle that we've learned about for our whole lives, right? All of these people being fed by this small amount of food. What an unbelievable and miraculous sign that Jesus really is something a little bit different. And Jesus is wise here in verse 15. He says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come make him king by force, withdraws to the mountain. Now let me speed the story up a little bit more. We're going to jump ahead, okay? Jesus withdraws to the mountain, his disciples hop on a boat, okay, and they're headed to another town called Capernaum. And they're headed out, and about halfway through their journey, uh, I, I don't think so, but maybe Jesus goes, ah, oh, they left me behind, I've got to walk there. And Jesus starts, he goes, I don't really want to walk around, so he starts walking on the water. By the way, we're just skipping right over this story. Jesus walks on the water, gets in the boat, unbelievable, again, sign, miraculous sign that Christ really is who he says he is. And then the disciples head 
over to Capernaum. And the next day, a whole bunch of people that were there figure out that he's not where he was, and they look at the beach and they see some boats are missing, and so they head over too. And eventually they find Jesus. They seek out all these people that were fed the day before. They all sat down, and what did Jesus did? They gave him a teaching, and he gave them a meal. And they're like, wow, that was cool. Where is that guy? Let's follow him again. And so they seek him out again, and they find him across the lake in another town. And everybody goes, oh, we found you, we found you. And Jesus answers this. He says this in verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the good works that God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one, uh, believe in the one he has sent. Now this is tough. Because Jesus looks at everybody and goes, hey, you're not here because you believe in God. You're not here because you believe in the power that rests in me, the Son, which we had, he had been uh, referring himself to sort of, not like a little more indirectly at this point. He goes, you're here because I gave you some food and you just kind of want another handout. And everybody's like, oh, taken aback. Because for some of them that was probably true, but who actually says that? And in church, we kind of do this, right? We do this a little bit. Sometimes, this is one of those things that people looked at and go, is this really important to me? Because sometimes we do this in the church. We go to a church just for the youth ministry or, or just for the things that they offer or just for the music or because we like the person that talks or, 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 or. And it's one of those questions that we need to ask as a church sometimes. They go, why are we here? What's important to us? What matters to us? Is this the stuff? And Jesus says... The handouts aren't the thing that should matter. Your faith in God should matter. And then he continues to speak and he says, On hearing this, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about it, Jesus says, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And then verse 66. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus says, do you not want to leave two to the twelve? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of, of the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. And he meant Judas, the one who would later betray him. Here's how these things connect. We have spent the last couple of years going, what matters to me? What matters to me? Does this matter? Does that matter? 
Does my job matter? Does my lifestyle matter? Should I make a change? Does this make a difference? And in the church, what we're seeing is that's happened too. People are going, ah, now that I can go, should I go? Do I care to go? Does it matter? Am I making a difference? And Jesus had a teaching just like this. He had a whole bunch of people following him. But when he called them out and he goes, what really matters to you? Is it God? Or is it the things that I'm just handing out? And at that point, a whole bunch of people went. And in culture, we have seen a whole lot of people go. In the last couple of years, we've seen people walk away from faith, walk away from the church, some for great reasons, some for reasons probably they don't understand, we don't know, I don't know them all. But here's what I do know, and this is why this is important here at IPC right now. There are always going to be people that come and go. There are always going to be people that go to one church or another church. There are always going to be people that are close to God and feel far away. We were talking about that in our discipleship moment this week at our staff meeting on Tuesday. Uh, James sent that out in an email. I would really encourage you to go find that email if you're not a part of it. It was really impactful. It was a really cool conversation in our staff meeting. We're called to this idea of maybe are we in, maybe we're out. We're all sort of dealing with this. Why does that matter here at IPC? Well, because you know what? In the last two or three or four years, some people have come and some people have gone. Some people have stayed and some people have left. And sometimes it's been because of a ministry and sometimes it's because of their personal faith. Sometimes it's because they were hurt by somebody that was here. Sometimes it's because of a whole other reason I don't even know. But as people come and people go, what Jesus does is he looks around at the ones that are left and goes, you are here and I see you. Jesus looks at them and goes, do you want to go too? And they look back at him and go, where else would we go? You are the one true God. You're the one we're following. You're the one we're hitching our wagons to. Jesus, you are the one we want to follow. And I think that everybody that is here this morning feels that way or close. Jesus, you are the one we want to follow. And as a person sitting here or listening online, it's really cool that you've also chosen to do that here as a part of this family at IPC. And that's important too. Because what the pandemic did is some people left and some people came. And it's this really interesting time where uh, we've seen a lot of people move around from churches. Some people are disenfranchised from their church, so they go to another church. And they go, well, this church will have all the things that I want it to have. And they'll go to another one and they'll go to another one. And churches are like dealing with this thing where they're getting the expectations of other churches in and in and in and in and in. But here's what I've learned from being here in the last six months. Whether you've been here for 20 years or you've been here for a year or you've been here for 20 minutes. Here's one of the things that I've learned about this group, this family of believers that I'm standing and looking at and staring into the camera. Again, whether you've been here for, for a long time or a really short time. You're that group. You're that group that says, where would I go? Who else would I follow? Why would I leave? This is who I'm serving beside. Those disciples looked at each other and go, this is our group of people and we're going to serve you, Jesus. And they looked at Jesus and they said, and you are the one that we're going to serve and that's what we're going to do. And I walk around this place all the time. And I have conversations with people who are in leadership and people who were in leadership and people that just started coming a month ago and people started coming a week ago and people started coming 10, 20 years ago. People who write journals about people that were here 50 years ago. 
And I just see a group who wants to go. A group that says, we are here to follow Christ and let's do that together. We are a family. We are together. And when I talk to those people, I have said to you, and if you've talked to me individually, I've told you over and over and over again how excited I am to be able to be a part of this family for a short time because you guys have something really special. It is really cool to see how this church is moving and working amongst itself, how it's working to reach out to the community, how it's working to learn and get deeper in their relationship with Jesus, and how you all want to do it together. And I got to tell you, like I go home, and Lauren and I have conversations about this every once in a while, and I just shake my head every two or three days, and you can attest to this, we just go, man, what a cool time to be a part of this group. And how blessed are we? Because you guys are that 12. You are that core group. You're the ones that have said, we're sticking around. Not because of this program or that program or this person or that person. We're sticking around because we follow Jesus. And where else would we go? And let me tell you, as a person who's completely on the outside, who's come in and had like the 10,000 foot objective look, that has been so fun to be a part of. So as we go through this series this week, or this, this summer, as we move through this time where we're going to go through disciple by disciple and personality by personality and story by story, what I want you to do is I want you to associate yourself with that group. I want you to dig into that teaching. I want you to go, oh, I'm a little bit like that. Flaws and strengths. I've thought that. Stories and, and, and sort of experiences. Because I'll tell you what, there's 12 of them for a reason. The cool thing about pers- like, like leadership teams is that everybody's a little bit different. You know what one of the wildest parts of this Jesus leadership team is? That right now in our culture just blows our minds is that you had a tax collector, a guy who was basically working for the government, and you had another guy who wanted to overthrow the government on the same team. Imagine that. Right? We know those people over the last two years. We know the people that are like, you know what, I think they're really doing a good job. And we know other people whose hair's on fire going, Ah! And Jesus brought them in together to work together because they weren't there for this or for that. They went, who else would we follow except follow you? And I'm so excited to be a part of this time in your journey because that's what you guys are doing. So as we close, let me just remind you of this. You are that 12. You are that group. We are singing about revival this morning. That's this group. That group of 12, which led to a bigger group, which eventually led to this group that we're going to look at over the course of the summer and try to relate to and learn stories about and say, yeah, I'm a little bit like that. That is you guys. Revival is inevitable when people go, we're just going to follow Jesus. And that is so cool. And I want you to be encouraged and excited and energized that that's where you're at. And that if we can spend the summer learning about what it looked like to do that, 
then we can go into the future knowing that as we follow Jesus, He is going to do great things in our community and in our world through this group. Amen? Okay. Let's pray together. God, thank You so much for this morning. Thank You for the opportunity and the teaching that we have to look back on how You led Your first leaders so that we can know how to be led by You. God, thank You for giving us an amazing teaching like this. Amazing miracles and signs and wonders so that we could see Your power and then a hard teaching that calls us to account so that we know who we're following. And God, this morning, God, this morning, whether we're the tax collector or the zealot, whether we're the person that's on the fringes, God, if we're a person that's been hurt and we're recovering or we're a person that's been here for a long time, whether we're new or whether we've been here for a long time, God, I just pray that you would work in this church and work in us because we just want to follow you. That's it. That's what we want to do. And so, Lord, help us do that together. Guide us. Teach us. Let us not just be disciples, students, and learners, but God, let us be apostles, those that are the messengers of you, those who are sent out to tell everybody about your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.